So wait a second. Manufacturing really is coming back to the United States? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Hard to know who to listen to these days. Some experts are telling us to kiss off those dreams of reshoring, that China will continue to dominate as a manufacturer of goods destined for America for years to come, or that if it doesn't, Southeast Asia will step in and take over the job, or maybe Mexico, if we're talking Western Hemisphere. But now we have the 2021 State of North American Manufacturing Annual Report from Sourcing Specialist Thomas, saying that there's definite interest in returning offshore production to the U.S. specifically, what my guest today describes as a dramatic increase in reshoring compared with just one year ago. He is Tony Uphoff, president and CEO of Thomas, and he cites findings that reshoring could drive $443 billion in U.S. economic value over the next year. We'll hear arguments in favor of that trend, as well as consider possible obstacles to it becoming a long-term reality. Here is my conversation with Tony Uphoff. Tony Uphoff, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. We're talking about the 2021 version of Thomas's State of North American Manufacturing Annual Report. What what period did that cover? Did it cover 2020 or part of 21 or how much? It really is taking a complete look at the back part of 20, 2020, but really focusing primarily on uh, 2021. Okay, so we're pretty up to date. What has it so is. far been the biggest takeaway from this version of the report, if not the biggest surprise, the biggest thing we can derive from your latest research? Probably the biggest takeaway for sure is the dramatic increase in reshoring. So we had done a survey almost exactly a year ahead of this one, where we had seen that about 54% of uh, U.S. manufacturers were likely or extremely likely to reshore some, if not all, of their manufacturing. And that jumped to 83 So proof points to that. It's not as though reshoring was a new phenomenon or we hadn't been seeing it, but to see that level of increase was frankly stunning to us. Wow, that is something. Now you're saying interest, because obviously to make a move like that takes a long time. You don't just overnight up and move your factory. So is this just at this point an expression of sentiment and desire as opposed to anything actually happening? Or are we seeing actual reshoring happening even as we speak? Well, isn't that the $64,000 question, right? (laughs) The primary baseline, if you just look at it this way, for the last, as you well know, the last 10 to 12 years, reshoring has been a pretty steady increase year over year. So North American manufacturing has been bringing manufacturing back, if you will, slowly but steadily for about 12 years now. The Reshoring Institute shows that, the U.S. statistics show that. That's been a real phenomenon and not a would like to, but it's actually been happening kind of dynamic. I think when you see this kind of a survey jump, that particularly in the category of extremely likely, I think you're seeing more than just casual interest here. I I think this is very real phenomena. 
When then you add in data that we track on thomasnet.com, where we're seeing increased demand around things like manufacturing services and custom manufacturing, just in the last 12 months alone, we've seen over $204 billion worth of requests for proposals that we processed on thomasnet.com. We go back three years ago. RFPs for what? For technology applications that that relate directly to the act of reshoring? I mean, what exactly is it that they are investing in or or looking to invest in? To give you a frame of reference, we cover 72,000 categories of products and services. So that's a very broad swath. But Mm -hmm. connecting directly to the topic for a minute, this is an increase in interest of working directly with North American manufacturers. Our complete supplier base is only North American suppliers. So when you see a, a 3x increase from 2018 to 2021, I would use that as a supposition to suggest that the reshoring interest that we're seeing is actually taking place. In other words, it's not just an interest around it. We're seeing a lot of data behind that that would show the actual sourcing around that is taking place before our very eyes. Let's be more precise about what we're talking about. We keep saying North American. Does that mean how how much of this manufacturing coming back is truly coming back to the United States versus Mexico? Many people have theorized that, quote unquote, Mexico is going to be the new China post-pandemic and that we'll see a big boon in, in Mexican manufacturing. We don't currently have Mexican suppliers in our database unless the Mexican supplier is also doing business with a subsidiary in the United States. So the data that we're tracking is just U.S. and Canada at this stage. It wouldn't include Mexico. I don't have up-to-date stats for you of Mexico seeing an enormous lift. Mm -hmm. We are seeing examples all over the place of U.S. manufacturers either reshoring or accelerating their investment in manufacturing in the United States. story just came out today where Apple is now sourcing car batteries, and they've, I think, officially said they're going to get into the auto business in 2024. And a part of their work on the manufacturing of car batteries for the suppliers, be they Chinese or Asian suppliers, the mandate is they will have to manufacture in the United States. Tony, you had mentioned the United States and Canada, but I'm assuming we never hear anything about a reshoring of U.S. manufacturing capacity to Canada. Certainly the labor rates there would not indicate that that would be competitive. Is there indeed some consideration being given to that, or are we really talking about specifically domestic U.S.? In this case, we're talking specifically domestic U.S., Bob. There could be evidence where you're seeing that steered towards Canada versus the U.S., but I've not seen in our data any evidence of that. So just to set the table here for what we're talking about, Mexico's not in your database. Truly, we're talking about actual domestic manufacturing coming back, which is kind of surprising, I guess, considering that the uh, cost differential still is there, I guess. But let's get to that in a moment. But first of all, I just want to ask you, to drill down a little more into the types of investments that you think companies are making in technology and labor management or, and, and labor and skilled labor that would make reshoring a reality here in this country. How are they facilitating that through these investments in technology and labor? The reality of it is, is you've had a question in your voice about, in essence, can the U.S. really compete on the global stage on a cost basis? Put yeah. aside whether some of the cost analysis was flawed to begin with, and there's a fair amount of evidence that it actually was, particularly when you look at total cost. 
not just per unit cost. But put that all aside for a minute. The reality is U.S. manufacturing has become competitive on the global stage, primarily through the use of advanced manufacturing technology. That's really what's happened. We've seen a step change in the last decade in manufacturing technology. And so that has certainly enabled U.S. manufacturers to to be increasingly competitive, not with every region of the country, but against many regions. That technology investment is actually accelerating. So in the same study, we saw that 54% of manufacturers are increasing their investment in automation and advanced manufacturing technology, and probably not a surprise to you or your listeners, but the days of technology being an occasional investment or every few year investment have changed. And particularly Mm -hmm. in the areas of digitally related technologies, you're seeing a pretty dramatic digital transformation of manufacturing as we know it across all the different facets of it. To what degree, when you say automation, are you referring specifically to robotics and the types of technology that would replace human beings in the factory? The bigger area, we certainly see to an extent, robotics is is obviously huge. I think it's a misnomer to assume that robotics is always replacing human beings. I think one of the things that is the hottest area of investment right now is really augmented technology that augments humans, human plus machine, if you will. So you're seeing a lot of the auto companies are actually starting to reintroduce people back in to some of the dynamics of their manufacturing process, particularly as automobiles become much more customized. Being able to automate customized manufacturing is very difficult to do without human intervention. So I think the hotter area of investment is really technology that augments human decision-making, and human work. And this is where a lot of the investment in artificial intelligence is going right now. If you read Paul Doherty's book, Human Plus Machine, Work in the Age of AI, it really is an eye-opening book to show where a lot of this investment is really going. And I think for headline perspectives and for drama perspectives, we tend to talk a lot about technology replacing human beings. I think there's perhaps less evidence of that actually happening than many people actually think. You know, we hear a lot about the use of collaborative robots or cobots, and I guess that might be one aspect of what you're talking about, is that people are still on the floor working with robots side by side. It's happening at a remarkable level, and and even technologies like additive manufacturing or 3D printing, the reality of it is we're adding new and different types of jobs into manufacturing that didn't exist before. I was asked recently of the the skills shortage and the jobs that are available in manufacturing. As you know, there's a big gap. We we need more skilled labor in manufacturing today. Somebody asked me, well, gee, are these white-collar jobs or are they blue-collar jobs? And I said, that's the wrong terminology today. They're new-collar jobs. These are jobs that require technology skills, and in many cases, programming skills and understanding of advanced technologies, in addition to this traditional skills of manufacturing. It's time that we update labor statistics, which tend not to track those computer jobs in manufacturing, as well as some of the traditional manufacturing jobs that we've all grown up with. But you refer to what is a pretty serious shortage of labor across many industries right now, for whatever reason. Does this threaten to slow the progress of reshoring if these factories cannot find the people they need to staff them? Bob, it's the biggest problem. The technology to drive the competitive dance for U.S. manufacturing, the understanding of how to harness these technologies – 
all the innovation of putting manufacturing in proximity to clusters of customers, all those things are available. Boy, the skill shortage is a big deal. And, and there's no easy way around it. The U.S. has suffered from not having really effective or thoughtful apprentice programs, the two-year degree or the traditional trade schools that turned out so much incredibly talented, skilled technicians in manufacturing years ago has really fallen apart. We've overemphasized the value of a four-year degree at the expense, if you will, of creating generations of skilled manufacturing talent. I don't think there's any easy way around it. It will impact this growth and reshoring. It won't stop it. There is talent out there. And I think we are developing programs. It's just slower, I think, than a lot of people and companies would like. We are seeing a ton of innovation at regional levels. Some very interesting things going on in Connecticut, in the school districts in Connecticut. There's some fascinating things going on in Ohio where rather than just wait for something to happen, local companies are working with their local school districts and local organizations to develop heightened sense of awareness about job opportunities in manufacturing, but early training and and the equivalent of apprenticeship programs. But make no mistake, Bob, it is the issue that could slow down the resurgence of U.S. manufacturing. Well, we can only hope, as some have said, that as the economy continues to recover, if the pandemic continues to abate, if people's fears about going back to work go away, and if, for that matter, if unemployment benefits, as they're scheduled to do, expire, maybe that'll go a ways towards solving the problem of labor availability, you think, or at least start us in that direction. Yeah, I think there's another piece to this, too. I mean, the fact of the matter is manufacturing has a PR problem, right? Mm -hmm. If you have a 20-something adult child and they're just entering the workforce, and maybe they graduated with a four-year degree, the average person who didn't understand manufacturing would probably not recommend to that adult child that, hey, why don't you take a look at career opportunities in manufacturing? The average person conjures up this 1930s black and white photograph of a factory. The reality is factory work today is high-tech work, and the, the jobs in front offices of manufacturing in manufacturing itself are really remarkable jobs. They're high-paying jobs, they've got great benefits, and they're not dirty, grimy jobs that I think a lot of people think they are. So I think there's a bit of a PR issue here that is an important one for people to wrap their heads around as well. And I think we've ignored manufacturing at our peril in this country and allowed it to be characterized as something that it's not. It's improving. Mm -hmm. Manufacturing today is is really a very vibrant and high-tech industry in the U.S., I mean, take as an example the most valuable companies in the world. Depending on the day, you're looking at Apple, you're looking at Microsoft, and you're looking at Amazon, right? Close to $3 trillion of market value. What do you think those companies do? They manufacture things. Well, Amazon doesn't. Amazon is the largest builder of warehouses and the biggest logistics company in the world. So they're using skills just like a manufacturer does. What do you think Tesla does? Tesla is bending steel, just like GM is, but they're doing it in a very different way with advanced battery technology in ways that not only make a higher valuation for the company, but they're producing a series of jobs that reflect the type of manufacturing that is is really current in today's marketplace, but also into the future of what manufacturing looks like. And I mentioned all this, Bob, I think in addition to the things that you note, I think one of the challenges U.S. manufacturing has is 
an understanding of the career and the profession. So for instance, if you and I were in Germany, we wouldn't be having this conversation. We would look yeah. like fools if we said manufacturing wasn't a good career path. People would think you were Just out of assumed. your mind. Yeah. If you were in other countries, and again, all I'm really pointing out is it's perception versus reality. The reality is very, very good industries growing, lots of job potential, lots of income potential, lots of entrepreneurial opportunities. But yet, I think there's still a little bit of perception. It's changing, but a little bit of a perception issue that we need to work on as well. Well, I want to touch on another potential challenge to reshoring, and that is the notion that no factory is a standalone operation. It relies heavily upon a universe of suppliers to feed it, and in many cases that requires proximity of suppliers to the factory, either supplier campuses in the vicinity or easy access to suppliers. To what extent are these, is this reshoring of factory work or manufacturing work being accompanied by the suppliers also moving over to make this a reality? And if not, is that not a problem? The honest answer to your question is, I don't think our data would be able to completely answer it, but I'll give you some suppositions from data points we are tracking. We're watching actually some really interesting, what I would call correlated demand in areas of warehousing would be a good example of this. But in many cases, they're actually building small manufacturing facilities. So it used to be that to get the cost of scale out of it, you had to have a pretty good sized manufacturing facility. And then it was the hub and spoke model that served as the hub. And then you distributed to the various places around the world that you really wanted to operate in. What you're now seeing is the cost performance levels getting to the point where we can locate these facilities near clusters of either other suppliers and or customers themselves. So I think that's a trend that is starting to accelerate a little bit. And I think as some manufacturing has gotten to be less invasive to the environment, it's opening up doors for us to be able to do that more and more across the country. So I think you're going to see more examples of bringing suppliers together in a supply chain, if you will, that has regional proximity. And also bear in mind, regional proximity to clusters of customers. That's the other thing that we're seeing that's really kind of kind of a fascinating dynamic is that I think there's a heightened sense of awareness that the total cost of producing a particular product, when you factor in all of the logistics and all the dynamics of this and pull the math through, under the harsh glare of the spotlight, what appeared to be this dramatic savings gets eroded down. And particularly in today's world where shipping and logistics costs are going up exponentially, if you can get access to it. But if you're talking about manufacturing facilities being placed closer to clusters of population and demand, are you not talking about putting them in highly populated areas, in some cases urban areas, where the real estate is extremely expensive and space is at a premium? Yeah, but you also bear in mind, take New York City. Believe it or not, is a vibrant and growing manufacturing hub in New York City proper within the five boroughs. Now, it is not the size that you would see in the outskirts of Ohio or other places out there. But really, what I'm describing is more within proximity of major urban areas, not in major urban areas. Right. So the ability to, to have if you take a drive an hour from Manhattan in New York City, I could take you into areas where you see a, a tremendous amount of manufacturing going on across the water into Connecticut. You see a very vibrant manufacturing that, that serves the majority of the aerospace and automotive industry. So I think there's probably more manufacturing going on in those areas that, again, 
have proximity to major urban areas than most people realize. And it's growing. And it's growing because it has the ability to serve those areas without dramatically increasing the footprint that they already have. Well, this is a very interesting message, Tony Uphoff of Thomas, that you're giving us about the actual realization of the aspiration to reshore manufacturing back to North America and even more specifically the United States. And it sounds like your research is showing some real progress in that area. So I thank you so much, Tony, for sharing your insights and hope to check back in with you at a later date to see if this is proceeding as you think it might be in the months and years ahead. But in the meantime, thank you so much for being with me. Hey, Bob, thanks for having us on as usual. Really appreciate it. That was my conversation with Tony Uphoff of Thomas, talking about the reshoring of manufacturing to the U.S. We're online at www.splychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain, and also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well, and see you next time. <laughs>